Thank you for joining me for Soulful Conversations with my community of fellow travelers, exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe. These conversations highlight what travel really means for the world. Soul of Travel honors the passion and dedication of the people making a positive impact in tourism. Each week, I'll be speaking to women who are tourism professionals, world travelers, and leaders in their communities. We'll explore how travel has changed them and how that has rippled out and inspired them to change the world. These conversations are as much about travel as they are about passion and living life with purpose, chasing dreams, building businesses, and having the desire to make the world a better place. This is a community of people who know travel is more than a vacation. It is an opportunity for personal awareness, and it is a vehicle for change. We are thought leaders, action takers, and heart-centered change makers. I'm Christine Weinbrenner-Eyrich, and this is The Soul of Travel. Nori Quintos is a consultant for the travel industry on communication strategy, media relations, custom content, and messaging. She helps destinations and travel companies find and tell their stories. An award-winning journalist, she is a contributing editor to National Geographic Travel Media. She has spoken and presented at conferences including the Adventure Travel World Summit, the New York Times Travel Show, International Media Marketplace, and the International Indigenous Tourism Conference, as well as World Bank World Tourism Day Forum. Her interests lie in cultural, indigenous, and regenerative tourism, as well as diversity, equity, inclusion in travel, and transformational travel. She is also a member of the Board of Directors of the Adventure Travel Conservation Fund and an advisor to Adventure Media, the Transformational Travel Council, Impact Travel Alliance, and the Social Enterprise Startups Giveaway. She is a former executive editor of National Geographic Traveler and was an editor at the U.S. News and World Report and Caribbean Travel and Life. I am so grateful for this conversation with someone who is a true inspiration in this industry and really shows us how those meaningful experiences when we travel and connect to culture, environment, and animals inspire us to give back. We talk about the future of travel, our responsibility as travel content creators to tell a more complete story, and slow travel and slow living, and why they are important to finding balance and creating space in our lives. Join me now for my soulful conversation with Nori Quintos. Welcome to Soul of Travel. I am so happy today to be joined by Nori Quintos, and she is a consultant for the travel industry, helping destinations and brands tell their stories, and also an award-winning journalist, and in general, someone who really inspires me with your focus on indigenous tourism, regenerative travel, DEI in the space of travel, as well as the focus on transformational travel, which is where we connected um, feels like eons ago at this moment, but I knew uh, we happened to both be participating in a 
kind of a support circle at that point within the transformational travel community. And I really resonated with what you shared and um, just have been grateful to have you in my hemisphere since then. And so um, welcome to Solo Travel. I'm so happy to get to share your story today. Thank you so much, Christine. Uh, That does seem like quite a while ago, but it really was only a year or two ago, I think. Yes, uh, I have no longer any context for time, but it's been so good to have uh, communities like that forming over the past two years because I think they have really amplified the positive traits and characteristics of this industry and really shown us what can happen when we come together. And I think that's one of the things that have been kind of the beauty of this period of time. And I think that's something that we'll end up talking about later on in our conversation. But as we get started, Nori, I would just love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself, tell our travelers, or our travelers, I'm ready to travel. I know. Well, hopefully our they will be travelers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little bit about your background and who you are in the space of travel. Sure. Thank you so much, Christine. Uh, first of all, again, thank you so much for inviting me. I know it's been, you know, we, we've been talking about doing this. And so I'm very excited that it's finally happening. Uh, very briefly, I'm a travel journalist. I'm an editor and a, I'm a communications consultant. Much of my career has been spent at National Geographic. Most of it as executive editor of Traveler Magazine, but these days I am more of a contributing editor. I write stories, I edit books, I uh, do special projects, mostly for Nat Geo, but also for other, other outlets as well. And for the last six years, I have been a communications consultant. I started my own business about six years ago, and I help raise the profile and tell the stories for destinations and other travel companies. I have also recently been leaning into my work uh, more as a volunteer, um, using my privileged position in this industry that I love so much as an advisor or as a board member to organizations like the Adventure Travel Conservation Fund, which I hope we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, also to Giving Way, which is a social enterprise that connects uh, nonprofits with donors and volunteers based in Israel and Transformational Travel Council, which I know you've been involved in and have several of your guests. So I think that gives you an idea of the kinds of the areas of travel that I'm particularly passionate about. And and oh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I foster dogs uh, for a local rescue. And uh, my 19th dog, Margot, is currently um, hoping to get her adopted by the end of this week. I bribed her with a chewy toy, so hopefully she'll be quiet for us today. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I think there's so many parts of the tourism industry that we have both been drawn to in our career and have a very similar outlook. Um, And I think maybe an outlook that we've had before the perspective of responsible or sustainable travel or community-based tourism, before all those categories existed, I think that was both places that we have been naturally drawn to. But I think it's definitely been great over the last 10 or 15 years where there's been more focus and certainly over the last two years in those areas to really get to spend time bringing attention to that. So that's what I would like to spend our time talking about today, those areas where our passions intersect. 
And you mentioned um, earlier that we have been trying to make this happen for a while and we were going to talk in November, but you had the amazing opportunity to travel to Columbia with Tourism Cares, which is another organization that I think we both really feel um, excited about the work that they're doing. I would love for you to kind of begin our conversation talking about that experience and we can kind of use that as a way to share with our listeners some of these ideas of slow travel, community-based travel, and what that really looks like in action. So maybe you could begin with some of the experiences that were really memorable or inspiring. Yeah, thanks for that. So yes, back in November, I went with on a trip to uh, Colombia, specifically Medellin, with uh, Tourism Cares, which is an, organi- an organization that also um, based in the travel industry, giving back to the destinations. And what was amazing about that trip is that it was really focused on community tourism, which is uh, community-based tourism, which is, uh, you know, we throw around these these words a lot. Um, So what is community tourism? And that can be a complicated answer. But essentially, the quickest way to think about it is uh, tourism um, that uh, involves the community, that the community is a complete partner with, and that essentially leaves your money, um, as much of the money um, that the tourist spends with the local community. So, um, and th- there are many faces to that, obviously. But one example that I thought um, really was stark in my mind is I met um, somebody named Diego Calderon, who was, a, who was a birder and a birding guide. And about 20 or 30 years ago, he was kidnapped um, for about three months by the FARC guerrillas in, in Colombia. And um, he, he was luck, luckily uh, released. And today he does uh, birding tours and guiding tours in some of those very communities where he, that same community area where he was held, working with um, guerrillas, ex-guerrillas um, from those communities who are now, who have laid down their arms and are now using, um, picked up binoculars and are now using their skills, their nature skills that they were, that that were honed just from living in the, in the forest to helping um, travelers find these amazing birds. Um, Columbia is a, is a, like a highway for a lot of these migrating birds. So there are hundreds of of endemic and non-endemic species of birds. And so birding is quite big there. And, um, you know, to be confronted with that amazing possibility, you know, the possibility of what travel can do is really, you know, was really kind of uh, stark for me that it can help to heal societies that were, you know, have been riven by um, violence for, for decades. And that's just one way that um, community tourism can work. And so that was something that was really quite interesting to me. Yeah, I feel like when I travel, I end up always finding an organization like that. And I think because when you connect with a community-based organization, it really does tell you this other story to a destination that we don't always get when we are kind of seeking the, um, you know, highlight reel or, you know, the things that we think we went for, the flashier moments or things like that. You end up finding these other parts. And then for me, that became more intentional where like I kind of never 
worried about what you're supposed to be seeing in a destination. And I went to see what the destination was going to share with me. And I think that's when you meet people like the person that you just mentioned. And then you learn about these organizations. You learn about the history in a different context than you normally would have. And so I think that also kind of brings us a little bit into slow travel and why that matters. Because I think and before we got on to speak today, I was thinking about, you know, what we think travel is and kind of what we think or what it really can be. And I, I'm going to play with that in my mind for a moment, but we might dive into that later. But when you are traveling slowly, what does that allow travel to become? And why does that matter both to travelers and to a destination? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, a little bit of, about my background, because the slow travel kind of comes to me quite naturally. I grew up bicultural. Um, my first uh, flight was a transatlantic flight from New York to Manila when I was six months old um, on the iconic Pan Am jet. And by two and a half, I had made that trip three times. And so that was what kept the start of a love affair with cultures and languages and, and travel. And uh, having spent part of my childhood in the Philippines and also my later childhood in Washington, D.C., you know, I came to see myself more as a citizen of the world um, rather than belonging to any one culture. So this idea of slow travel for me is really just a natural extension of living abroad and living in different places and, and kind of having these different personas. And so slow travel is, for me, is really a pivot to meaning. We really can't afford to travel fast anymore. I mean, with this pandemic, I, I think it's highlighted so, so much of what's, what's going on and what's important. And, uh, you know, slow travel, you don't give up anything by slowing down your travels. In fact, you gain so much more, you know, it's so much, it's so much deeper traveling slowly. And essentially, it's as simple as traveling less, but spending more time in, in a destination. And, uh, you know, what's amazing about it is just it opens you up. And as somebody who is, um, I'm, I'm on a slow road to fluency, to Spanish fluency. And so it's really great when you're learning a language to, um, to slow things down and embed yourself in one place. I don't want to step away from this conversation for too long, but have you heard? Soul of Travel has been nominated for a Bessie Award in the wonderful award category as a brand that has gone above and beyond to support, empower, and represent women in 2021. As a listener, you know that I am deeply committed to amplifying the voices of women in the travel community, and it is such an honor to be nominated. If you are a member of the wonderful community who has attended a past Women in Travel Summit, please consider voting for the Soul of Travel podcast. Not familiar with Wonderful? I highly recommend checking them out. You can listen to episode 43 with Wonderful founder Beth Santos to learn more. Now let's get back to our soulful conversation. That kind of reminded me too, you were mentioning, you know, this came out of how you, how you were raised and how you initially engaged in the world. So I'm imagining that when you're traveling like that, you're probably visiting family or you're spending time, a little bit more time when you're traveling as well. So you just, 
learned how to be somewhere without there needing to be, there doesn't, doesn't have to be an outcome necessarily. Again, like you're not trying to check a box, you're just open to the possibilities of being there. And this just reminded me of a quote that I read that you wrote actually while I was researching for this about how old travel was to escape the world and new travel should be to engage in the world. And I think that through this pandemic, we're really seeing, um, you know, the issues facing the planet, facing people and travel is one way that we can use to address this. And so I think a good segue would be to looking at the future of travel. I think we both have seen since the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of focus on the way that travel creates a negative impact with carbon emissions, over tourism, bucket list travel, like we've seen all of these things kind of floating around. And then I think what we've also been fortunate enough to see is that as these issues have come to light, there's been a lot of innovation and collaboration in the industry creating more responsible travel experiences and organizations really coming together to support this. And I'm just wondering for you, what have you seen coming out of this time that really gives you hope for the future of travel and for this way of engaging with the world? Yeah, so uh, I'm a journalist and I'm a generalist at that. So I, I leave it to the experts who are way smarter than me to do the thinking and the coming up with you know, innovative um, practices and all of that, you know, what I get is the front row seat to, you know, watching the evolution of that. And I get to interview these amazing people and listen to them and try to help distill some of that amazing information so that it's, you know, it's, it's something that, that anybody can understand. So again, I'm not an expert, but I do feel like having had a front row seat to the evolution of sustainable tourism, really from the beginning being really quite fringy to now being talked about at the highest levels of society. It's progress. Now, it's not enough progress. Obviously, we're not going fast enough. We're not um, nearly going far enough. Um, but it is it is progress that I'm proud to have to have witnessed. And, you know, there's this interesting idea sometimes that sustainable travel is more expensive, or it's somehow left to certain types of people to do sustainable travel. And, you know, I think the reality is that we've come to, we, you know, we've grown up thinking of travel as, you know, airfare, food and, and hotel and lodging, but really there's so much more to travel than that. Um, and that's what we paid for, right? But really there's so much more value to travel that we have in, in many ways ignored. There's the character of a city. There's the um, the quality of, of a beach. There's a view, an uninterrupted view. All of those have value. And in general, we have not been paying the full value of the full cost of a true travel experience. So sustainable travel tries to address a little bit more of that. And so it's not that sustainable travel is more expensive per se. It's that traditional travel has not really been adequately capturing the true cost of what a trip is. And I think changing that perspective a little bit, I think, allows um, travelers to be like, okay, well, let me pay the full cost of what, what it is, um, what something is. And so when you think of it that way, um, maybe you'll travel a little bit less. Maybe you can't afford to take as many trips as you would like, but 
it gets back to slow travel, you're traveling more deeply, you're connecting with the people more, and you are um, leaving a positive impact on a destination, which we all want to do. Yeah. And that really actually leads me so perfectly to what I was thinking about this morning is knowing I was speaking to you and that you do write about travel and you help people tell the story of travel. I kind of started thinking about um, tourism or how travelers maybe engage with media and that if we're buying, for instance, shoes or a car or something, we know we're being sold something, right? And we know when we see a commercial that it's telling us all of the shiny things about the shoes or the car, but we also know there's other parts to it because we kind of have this different sense of understanding of production and, you know, all these other things, miles per gallon for gas that they're not going to tell us if it's not good or whatever. But when we look at travel, I don't think consumers approach it the same way. When they pick up National Geographic and they read an article or they see a one-page ad, like they just think they're seeing everything, right? They maybe don't understand that you are or any writer or business is telling a story. Um, And I think for a long time, that story has been one of, you know, again, going back to your comment, the travel was about escape. And it was about like, maybe this glamour or relaxation or um, these moments, but it didn't always tell the full story. And so what I would love to talk to you about is what is the responsibility that media has to tell a different story? Um, and why is that important? What does that, again, kind of how does that add to this um, balance between tourist and destination, I guess? Yeah. And the truth is travel is still those wonder, all those wonderful things that you mentioned. So it's not to change any of that, but it's really to add more context and to, you know, connect it to kind of our, our real lives and and to engage again, again, to engage, um, you know, not merely to, to escape, but, you know, we know, everybody knows that the planet is is in crisis and that travel has been implicated in that, you know, our industry, the travel industry contributes between eight to 11% of global carbon emissions. So, and we know that the way we have been traveling is unsustainable in the long run. You know, I've spent my career in travel journalism, in travel media, and so I'm speaking kind of from that perspective and speaking to to those of us who are um, in uh, travel media, whether we are writers, photographers, influencers, you know, all sorts of content creators. It applies to travelers as well, but it's especially kind of geared at travel media, because we're the ones who raise the profiles of some of these destinations we write about. So, you know, for years, we've been focused on the lighter side of travel, you know, the evocative side of travel, because, you know, that's more fun, right? It's more fun to be in, in that space. But we are at a moment right now, and I we can no longer leave it to the news reporters or the environment writers to do the hard work. We all need to do it. And, you know, so it's you know, we need to not only travel responsibly, but to write responsibly as as well. And I wrote a piece for World Nomads, um, actually titled something like that, Why Responsible Travel or Writing is as Vital as Responsible Travel. And some of the things that I talked about, you know, and they're essentially, you know, tips and things to keep in mind. Um, But one is to 
choose carefully. You know, we, we are raising the profile of companies and destinations that we write about. So let's not just write about anybody. You know, even if we were writing about great restaurants in Paris, you know, that sounds like, uh, you know, okay, what are the great restaurants in Paris? Easy, right? But add a secondary filter, you know, what are the great and sustainable, um, you know, make sure they're sustainable too. And, you know, whether or not your editor asks for that, you know, add it, you know, to every piece of, of writing that you do to everything that you, you cover, just add that secondary filter, make that, you know, a natural part of it. Because again, we're raising the profile of, of companies. So we, you know, we have a say in that. And then the second big thing is to, you know, give context to the issues and challenges um, with, uh, surrounding travel. You know, if we're writing about whatever we're writing about, say it's the Galapagos. Um, so, of course, we're going to mention the amazing wildlife that are, you know, all over um, this, this wonderful set of islands. But let's not mention that without also drawing attention for the readers on um, or the listeners as well about the plastic pollution that washes on, on the shores um, and the changing temperature of the water that really alters the landscape and marine scape of this incredibly vital and unique set of islands. So make those connections for the reader, make them clear and also make clear that their actions, not just where they are, you know, that's important too, you know, their best practices on, on, on the islands, but that the actions that they have at home can have reverberations and ripple effects, positive or negative, to what they're seeing in, um, in these destinations. Um, and finally, I think the one other thing I'd, I'd mention is to model that we need to be modeling good behavior. You know, um, are you on social media? Yes, of course you are. If you're if you're any sort of content creator, just part of life these days. And what are your photos saying? Um, what are your images saying without you ever saying anything? And I see still too many images of so-called influencers and content creators, and they're cradling wild animals. They're sipping smoothies with plastic straws. They're um, taking selfies with potentially vulnerable local children, you know, without context or explanation. Maybe there's a good explanation for why that is, but it's not, if it's not said, then, you know, it's not a positive thing. So please model good behavior because people, you know, especially, you know, your influencers, we're influencing people, you know, people are watching and copying our behavior. So at least let's make sure that they're copying kind of good behavior. Thank you so much for walking us through some of those things. And I think what really comes to my mind is kind of where you started. If you're if you're writing a story about Colombia and maybe your editor wants you to focus on nature or wildlife and you end up on birding, it's really easy then to also add the story of that group and that that, like you said, gives you one other layer. And actually, for me, I'm going to be more drawn to the area because of that, because now I feel like I have a more personal connection, like just hearing about amazing opportunities to see, you know, birds in this habitat is great. But like, I really want to know more, like, I really want that extra layer as a human. And I think it's that really using travel to showcase the interconnectivity between humans and nature and um, between all destinations. And I just think that it's a really 
it's a really fun time to be a part of the industry because we are getting to kind of play in all of these different spaces and, and think about how we can make an impact and we don't have to be as subtle with that layering as we maybe had to be in the past because I think um, people like you and I have always been wanting to do that or have been doing it, but it has had to be a little bit more discreet. And now I think, and I, I'm, I'm, I would sure that you're probably seeing this too, that travelers and readers are asking for that kind of content. They're also being really drawn to it because it does also make them feel connected and it, it, it activates this sense of belonging. And you and I, when we met before, we talked a little bit about how how we can heal through tourism and how we can create peace through tourism. And I think that this is kind of in alignment with, you know, where this conversation is at right now. But how do you see travel playing a role in those aspects, especially coming, hopefully coming to an end of this pandemic? Like, how can we use travel as a place to heal and to create peace? Yeah, no, that, you know, I've been hearing a lot about, there's often this question, you know, how, how to make travel more sustainable, how, you know, it, there's, there's always that kind of incremental changes. But in one of the uh, pieces that I wrote, I talked Jeremy Sampson, who was foundations after as a founded, I can't remember. So apologies, Jeremy, if you're listening, but I'll get it right later. But what he said to me, um, he said something to me that, that really kind of makes sense. And he said, you know, we need to stop thinking about how we, asking the question that way, you know, how can tourism be more sustainable? But instead, looking at it as how can tourism be a tool, used as a tool to solve the world's biggest problems? And when you think about it that way, all of a sudden it opens up so many things. And so kind of using tourism as a tool and the earlier example that I gave you with um, the birding in Colombia, you know, that is a way of stitching together and healing kind of communities that have been um, broken by years of civil war. I'm going back to Colombia because that really was the last place that I, uh, I visited in, in a couple of years. But there are also these communities that were old, um, you know, areas where there was a lot of violence and still a lot of poverty. And there are ways that, that visitors can, can visit and take part in tours led by community members. So you walk through those streets and you're with them and you, you eat at restaurants that were that have been um, started by single mothers who are now entrepreneurs. And that is a way of, of addressing some of these, um, these, these social ills. The conservation economy in Africa, where using, using tourism dollars to fund you know, anti-poaching units or communities that end up you know, helping and, and becoming guides as opposed to becoming, you know, being poachers. For, for their livelihoods. I mean, these are ways, and there's so many different ways that tourism can be a tool, used as a tool. And I think when we look at it that way, as opposed to just this incremental change, oh, how can we make tourism a little more sustainable? You know, we can solve some really, really big problems. And that's really quite exciting, actually, you know, to be a part of that. And it doesn't mean that your travel isn't interesting, or it's still relaxing. It's still connecting. It's still 
Um, you're still eating great food. You're you're doing everything that you that we all look for in um, when we travel, but in fact, you're doing it more and better and deeper. And so it's it's really win win win. Yeah, I agree. And I just I think um, for me, part of my personal miss- mission in travel is for um, helping women um, know their value in their communities and looking at gender equity and when you you think about those topics in the context of travel, it maybe can feel weighted or heavy. And like you said, you know, maybe you think you're not going to still have this amazing vacation or this experience, but then I've seen as I bring communities of women together, travelers connecting with local social impact projects, that time they spend together is so healing for both parties, for the local communities, for maybe their artisan craft to be witnessed and valued. And then the, the women's, you know, to, to, to see that, like, there's such a powerful exchange that happens that, that does begin to heal, you know, for both parties and also just creates this deep connection to a destination. And then when you're looking at things like, you know, any of these other social issues, when you have that connection to the destination at that level, then that is going to ripple out into conservation and looking at how we can be more responsible and it it means more to us. And so I think that amplifies this other greatness that travel can bring to the world. And so I also get really excited about it. I feel like there becomes endless opportunities for using travel as this greater vehicle for things. Um, I did just want to mention, I looked up Jeremy's information because I also know travel him and foundation. I that I couldn't think of it. It's the travel foundation. The travel foundation. Yes. And he's Thank also you. the chair of the future for tourism coalition, which um, that is another type of organization that I think we've seen come out of this time where, where community members, where professionals have been saying, what else can we do? And I have loved that this has meant like, not can we do, what can we do alone, but what can we do together? And so bringing all of these organizations together to examine how we can show up differently. And I know you've been a part of that. You mentioned you've been sitting on a few boards and you also mentioned the Adventure Travel Conservation Fund. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about that aspect of travel and and what that adds to deepening this kind of purpose and and what we can do with travel. Yeah, you know, for me, one way of dealing with so many of the changes around the world that are happening that are out of my control. You know, there's this pandemic kind of assault on democracy all over the world. There, there are huge things happening and I know good people are working on it and I'm doing my small bit, but What's been really helpful for me is to actually dive in a little bit in the areas where I know I can make a little bit of a bigger difference. And, um, you know, it's for me, it's a way to, you know, not just keep my sanity, but actually to keep me engaged and actually really quite hopeful about the future. And so, you know, I'm really excited to, um, to be involved in some of these, um, these great organizations. You know, recently, like about 300 or more travel companies, tourism boards, and destinations 
And me, and little old me, signed the Glasgow Declaration of, it's a mouthful, the Glasgow Declaration on Climate Action and Tourism. And, you know, it's, it's the first commitment from the travel industry to cut carbon carbon emissions in half by 2030 and reach net zero by 2050. Now, there are a lot of issues with that, obviously. You know, people are saying, you know, it's just, is it enough? Is it just kind of mumbo jumbo? You know, I'm not going to wade into that. But, you know, I can say that it, it's nice to see the industry as well as people um, such as you and me come together um, to participate in that. And it's really important to remember, you know, places give us so much. So, you know, what is it that we give places in return? So it's kind of like, what can we give back to travel? So besides signing that declaration and the tourism declares, um, which is a similar declaration, uh, I've also joined 1% for the planet, which commits me to, um, to donating at least 1% of my salary to environmental causes. And, you know, um, one can join as an individual and one can join as a company. And it's really quite, you know, I just feel it's, it's, it's wonderful to feel part of that, um, that a growing commitment. And it's also the reason why I am leaning into my um, volunteer work at the Adventure Travel Conservation Fund, which is a small nonprofit. We give uh, small donations, uh, well, small, um, we grant um, project grants of about you know, under $10,000 each to about five worthy projects um, throughout the world. And it's, you know, I, I call it kind of small, it's small but big impact. So small projects and big impact. And these, this has ripple effects all over. And so I'm really excited to engage, to be committed to this, um, to this endeavor. And I encourage anybody in the industry who, who wants to participate in either this or in some of the other um, causes that I'm, that you and I are involved in. Um, it's, it's really a way to feel hopeful and, and to be doing something and to actually, to actually make a difference because it's sometimes hard to feel like you're making a difference when problems are seemingly so big. But if you break them down, if you, you take a part of it, it's, I think we can do it. I think Desmond Tutu, who unfortunately just died, said something like, you know, it's these little bits of good that we do that combine together. I'm, I'm again, messing up his quote, but, but combine together make, um, you know, kind of overwhelm, overwhelm the world, world with good. So, you know, I invite everybody to do their little bit of good, you know, everywhere. Yeah. Thank you. It's such a good reminder because I think often um, as individuals or as small businesses, we think that we don't have the heft to create change. And so again, we might step back because we think that it's not as valuable, but I'd love for uh, example, the 1% for the planet that you mentioned, because if you add my 1% to your 1% to a larger company's 1%, like we're we're getting there, right? And it, it doesn't have to be all about it being this huge contribution. It just is um, the collective um, and the work that that can do together. And so I think not being steered away from not thinking you're doing enough and therefore doing nothing. Um, and this reminded me too, when, when we connected earlier, we were talking about um, like, what is this rethink that we can have both professionally and personally? And what is something we can do to make us 
feel empowered. And you had mentioned that you started composting and that this was kind of your like big rethink and your reframe and like this one action step. But I think it's really powerful to have experiences like that. And I don't know if you would mind sharing that story, but I think it's just a good example of how we can just take like one step forward without being afraid of all of the other steps around us. Yeah, no, it, it is. There's, I think there, there's so many things that we can do. So a lot of people, a lot of my friends have been composting, but they either have big backyards or they, you know, with, for whatever reason, I was having trouble getting myself to do that because I live in a small townhouse and, and busy and all of that. Until I discovered recently this whole concept of composting in a cardboard box. So there's a New York Times article all about it. But the idea is you essentially have a box of soil. Now, it's, it's, it's got certain percentages of things in order that you need. So, But it's pretty simple. Once you get it set up, you got this box of soil. You keep it under your sofa or under your dining table. It's in, my, it's in a corner of my kitchen. And essentially, you cut up all these, you know, all your leftover veggies and and things like that and stick it in and you just kind of it's really quite almost meditative actually um you just turn the soil over and christine it is it is like magic i don't know where all the stuff goes but it just (laughs) you know within a couple of weeks it's making new soil and then you can just dump it out you know or put it in your potted plants or, or give it away or just just throw it outside in your, you know, in your, I've got a little small backyard. So I just throw it out there, but it is, it's, it's amazing. And and once I started doing it, I thought, gosh, it's really not that hard. And so I think there's so many things that we, we think can be so much more difficult, but once we, you know, we pay attention to them, uh, we can do that. And it's one thing I, I think too, that the pandemic has given me, it's given me a little bit more of the space and opportunity and time to take on some of these things that seem so difficult. And one thing I wanted to get back a little bit to our conver- uh, part of our conversation earlier about um, the good that we can do. I wanted to remind people that, you know, we can do good just from the trips that we take to remember your travel dollars are a way to reward businesses doing well doing the right thing, you know, so it's, it's unlike other industries, you know, as a traveler, you have enormous influence with your travel dollars. And a typical trip is about between $2,000 and $5,000, you know, for like a week to two weeks. And so where you put that money really um, makes a big difference, whether it's this operator or that operator or this um, destination or that destination. So just your trip alone that you're going to spend anyway is a way to do good with um, with what you have. Yeah, that is such a powerful point. And again, seeing what people have started to create during this time, and now these trips are even more available and seeing people with, you know, focuses on connecting with social impact projects, conservation work, um, limiting their greenhouse gases. Like there are people that are very transparent about, what they're offering. And I think consumers can shop with their values. Like you said, like what is really important to you? Find the travel brand that is aligned with that, support them because you know them that work is rippling out, but you're also probably going to have a great experience because you know that you are not only supporting that, but you're probably going to be engaged in some element of that along the way. And there's like 
again, probably endless opportunities. Like if you're interested in surfing and water and beef conservation or, you know, um, like whatever speaks to you, look for that and ask of it out of your travel experience because you probably can find it now. I think somebody is speaking to every person out there if you look for it. And I also think that's brilliant because it's just creating some really exciting travel experiences and opportunities too for travelers. I was also thinking as you were sharing um, about the the reward or the kind of result of the comp of your composting a few years ago, I had decided that we weren't going to use straws in our house anymore. And I have three little kids, three young daughters, younger than straws are everything, right? Like they, they physically feel like they can't drink out of anything with, without a straw. And so I was like, we're not ordering them. We, you know, when we get a drink at a restaurant, I have straws in my purse. And at first, you know, they thought this, my mom is crazy. I don't understand why we're doing this. And then I remember, um, like after we'd been doing it for like six months or something and had my refillable coffee cup and they're like, do you want a straw for that? And my one daughter was like, why would she want a straw for that? I can't believe you asked her. And it was just really funny because she, they went from like impossible to like, no way. Why would you do that in a very short period of time? And then also them having the understanding of why we created that shift, like going through this journey of, I can't do it to its really so easy that it's blasphemous that you would do anything else. And even like, funnily, we were doing something else and my daughter wanted to eat something. And she was like, Oh, I wish I had a fork right now. I wish we had our traveling chopsticks. And it's like the things you heard them say that you would have never imagined you would hear them say in a million years. And it's a part of like our normal way of being. So I think just inviting listeners to get also playful with that, like, what is a small action that maybe seems impossible that you really could take on? Like, what is something you read about that you were curious, but felt resistance? And maybe you can pull that into your life and see what happens. You know, I love, I love that. And um, gosh, it's those little transformative moments and the moments of like shifting perspectives and paradigms that are so they seem so small, but yet they're so powerful. You know, I'm reminded by, I heard a podcast from an astronomer once and I, it kind of just stayed with me. And then I went to um, Chile and, and kind of put it into practice and had one of those moments. But in the podcast, this astronomer was talking about how we tend to think of outer space as like far, you know, far above us and, and really quite separate. And, you know, he says that we test and it's made worse by the fact that the way we, you know, we tend to look at space, we you stand up and you look up, right? And that's okay, there's space. And he said, you know, space is all around us, you know, we are a planet within space. And so he suggested that the better way to look at the night sky was rather than um, look up was to, um, to lie down on the ground and imagine yourself, you know, you're on the ground, imagine yourself taking a step into space because space is really just, just now, of course you can't do that because we've got gravity, right? But if you could, you'd be stepping right into um you'd be stepping away from the earth and right into space and it's all around you. And when I was on a trip to the Atacama Desert in Chile with a small group of people, it was one of those 
dark, cloudless um, nights, you know, no moon, no clouds, like billions and billions of, of stars. And I shared the insight with this um, small group of, that I was with. And we all lay down on the ground and, you know, I, I explained what the astronomer said. And so we just kind of imagined ourselves there, you know, kind of lying, but standing kind of almost as if you're standing and then taking a step that you can't take into space. And it was that shift of, pers- you know, just that simple shift of perspective kind of changed everything and how you view your world, our planet, you know, and again, this little thin atmosphere, this this gravity that's holding us back, but it just, we just felt so connected with the world around us and the space around us and just felt like such a part of this whole um, incredible universe that we live in. So um, I love those, those, those moments and travel that's one thing I love about travel because travel enhances and facilitates those kinds of um, paradigm shifts. Yeah, because you're really open to to exploring an exercise like that. I mean, if you're in your daily life and someone's like, oh, I listened to this podcast and I heard this thing about the stars, you want to lay down and try that. You're going to be like, well, I don't have time for that. Or, <laughs> right. you know, like I, I'm, I'm really disconnected from that idea. I'm uh, no, or or you're like, yeah, maybe I'll try that later, and you never do. But in this moment where you feel like you have the time and space to explore, when you're traveling, mm-hmm. then, then you step into that, and then you get even more out of it. Which I think really is just kind of that constant theme of this conversation is just being open to what travel yes. gives you, and open to the possibilities of what travel and mindful travel or however, whatever you want to say can bring to you and then how that will expand. Yes. No, that's so true. As an editor, I look for yarns that go beyond the realm of, you know, go beyond the place to the realm of the universal. That's what makes a good story. So in other words, uh, if I'm looking for a story, tell me a story that's not just about you in one spot but about all of us everywhere. And I think that's a, you know, you don't have to be a writer to kind of appreciate that. And you can just be a traveler because travel, even though we're in one place, in one spot at a certain point in time, it's really not just about that one spot and and that spot in that place in time, right? It's really about everything, you know, because, because you meet people, when you travel, you meet people, that are so different yet so the same, and and that's what kind of sparks these these um, kind of eureka moments of of universality. That's what that's what that connection is. When we talk about connection and travel, it's often that it's this. Gosh, you are so different. Things are so different here, but there's a chord that is that is universal and the same. You know, I remember I was on assignment um, writing a, the cover story for a Nat, Nat Geo Travel magazine about, um, and the assignment was uh, a story about Banff, uh, Alberta in Canada. And my reporting time was short um, and I had a long list of things that I needed to do and see and people to talk to. So I was kind of in this like, okay, I got to do this, this, this. I only have this much time. And on the on my list was to see a, a bear, preferably a grizzly bear, because that was, you know, it's, it's big in Canada. It's big in Alberta. 
And so I felt I needed it for my story, which I had already pretty much half written in my head. But try as I might, I did not, couldn't get to see one while I was there. And I talked to my guide. I was, you know, and that's, that's wildlife, right? That's, that's nature. That's, that's, that happens. And um, so I didn't get to see one. And when I got down to writing, I, I was writing and I kept thinking, oh, wouldn't it have been great to see the bear? Then I could have talked about it because this is where it fit in my story. And I just kept struggling with the piece uh, until it dawned on me that not finding the bear was act, could actually be the central metaphor of, for the story. And that it actually made for a better story that I didn't, that I didn't see the bear. And it was, it's more universal because how often do we get what we want all the time, right? I mean, life is actually full of, you know, disappointments and, and, and resilience coming from that. And so the story ended up actually being a much better story because I didn't find the bear and that actually made its way into, into my piece. And so for me, I think about that and, you know, the lesson in both life and in writing is that, you know, that we shouldn't try to force it and the story will unfold and the trip will unfold. The, the things that are supposed to happen will unfold. And that's what's wonderful about, um, about travel. If we, if we allow ourselves to do that, because I think too often we try to program our travels so, so much that we forget to just let it you know, let travel happen to us. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really valuable lesson because I think we do often set out with a lot of expectations around our travel and the, the disappointment can become the thing you take away from the trip. And what a shame because you've had all these other experiences and then to like, to think about what did the absence of this moment actually mean for the trip like if you had seen the bear on the first day you kind of would have been done right right like not seeing it you still you had all of these this time and space to keep looking um and you know whether you saw it or not it was this kind of like looking process that maybe was really important about the journey um and so again I think just that openness. And I was also thinking when you're talking about this um, universalness and this moment of belonging that we find in travel, um, I was reminded of those moments when you find a deep sense of belonging somewhere where you think you, you would least expect it, where you're amongst a group of people where you don't speak the language or when you're deeply immersed in a culture where you are out of your comfort zone, if you're traveling somewhere remote, and there's nothing that you can really relate to or connect to from your own life. But then you find yourself pausing, sitting face to face with someone and communicating in, in a way in a nonverbal way, and then feeling that deep connection. And then you all of a sudden feel this sense of home and belonging. And then you think in that moment, also, you realize, much like the stars, how deeply connected we all are. And when you get to have that moment, um, like for me, that's what I want everyone to have when they travel is that moment of realizing the connection of all humans. And it's really beautiful. And so I, I just think that 
like you were saying, that finding the way to share that through a story is really powerful for people that don't have the ability to have that experience firsthand. And I think those moments are more apt to happen if we have less of a schedule or if we allow ourselves to just have some openness and some, you know, not, not having everything um, kind of pre-programmed. I remember I was on, um, I was at a conference in Ecuador and I got a chance to travel around and I already in the back of my mind, I was wanting um, to commit to learning um, Spanish and to really commit to, to doing that somewhere. But in my mind, I thought, oh, it's something that I'm going to do much later in life when I have, you know, much more time and I maybe I'm retired. And while I was traveling around Ecuador, I realized that there were so many language schools in, in Ecuador because the type of Spanish that they speak is very, um, they, it's considered quite neutral. And so there are a lot of Spanish schools that have sprouted uh, around that because of that, the type of Spanish uh, spoken in, in Ecuador. And um, I also realized that it's essentially very close to, I mean, the, the time zone is pretty much the same as my time zone on the East Coast. And that the programs, the Spanish programs are actually all half day, most of them are half day programs. So you're in school in the mornings, and then you have your afternoons free. And I thought, oh, wow, maybe this is something that I can do and still can and continue to work. So I was noodling that in the back of my mind. I uh, had to pick up something from the the house of the conference organizer um, that I had left. And so when I got to his house, I met his wife, who it turns out runs a bed and breakfast in her home. And so this is what was a it's a not fancy neighborhood, but it's a very nice, you know, it was a nice neighborhood, but not not fancy. And I thought, bam. And I could stay here and everything just kind of fell into place. Like you see in a movie or whatever, it was just like, all of a sudden the way was clear. And within five months I was back in Ecuador, you know, hadn't really planned on it, but I was back in Ecuador living in that house. Um, I had a school, you know, 10 minute walk away and, um, and I go to school in the, in the mornings uh, work in the afternoons, and I had my weekends and evenings, you know, free to to explore and travel. And so it was one of those things again that just that serendipity could only happen if there was some openness to begin with, like kind of like openness to having having something happen. And um, I mean, I think it's it's amazing those those wonderful serendipities in life. We could probably have more of them if we were just a little bit more open. Yeah, just slowing down and like not only slow traveling, but slow living and allowing for the magic to kind of creep in every day. <laughs> yeah, I just heard about the concept of slow work, <laughs> which basically means not letting work, you know, take over your whole life. And um, I think slowing things down in all aspects of your life really is key. Yeah, thank you. I agree. Um, I think it can give us so much. Um, and it's so against our nature. But I think over the past two years, we've seen that we can do that too. And so hopefully, maybe we'll start to reap the benefits of that. Well, Nori, before we end our conversation, um, I would love for you to just share um, for people who uh, have heard you speak today, want to learn more or find out where they can connect with you, um, where can they find you? And then we'll end with this series of seven rapid fire questions. Yeah. So if you can spell my name, you can find me. Um, so my name is, name is spelled Nori, N-O-R-I-E. 
Quintos, Q-U-I-N-T-O-S. Uh, you can Google me. I have a website. I have a blog. I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, so please, I'd be very, very you know, happy to, to connect. Thank you. Um, and then we'll begin with the first question is, what is your favorite book or movie that offers you an escape or inspires you to adventure? Um, so I've been having trouble reading the last few years. I've just been so distracted. But um, one book that I have read that really had an impact on me this year is called uh, The Good Ancestor, The Good Ancestor by Roman Znarek. And it's all about looking at things through a long, long lens um, future. And not just, you know, he doesn't talk about just 10 you know, to 20 or 30 years, which is all good. That's, 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 that's about all that I can right now handle. But he actually talks about kind of looking to the deep future and, you know, and living our lives based on that question, am I being a good ancestor? I think it's fascinating. And it's, it's a, a, one of those paradigm shifting books as, as well. Yeah, that question kind of hurt in my chest, actually, when you just asked that. So I need to look at that. Um, what is always in your suitcase or backpack when you travel? Uh, you mean besides my water bottle and my N95? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I love those those tubular things, buffs, I think they call it. Um, you can use them for anything. You can wear them in your wrist, your head, your your neck. And um, they, they've just, they're like bandanas, but more useful, I think. Yeah. I actually just got some of those for me and my girls when we travel because they always want to borrow mine. And I'm like, no, this is yours. And they're so small. They're like, this can be a skirt. This can be a dress. I'm like, <laughs> the opportunities are endless. Now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do not have the size where it can be a, a skirt, but uh. yeah, no, me either. Um, let's see where or what has been your favorite destination? You know, that answer always changes because it's usually the last place I've been to. So that means it's the last place I've been to is uh, Medellin, Colombia. Uh, Medellin's a wonderful, um, quite surprising city. Yeah, I have heard about it a lot um, through your writings and others that traveled there recently as well. And it, it just, I, um, it's on my list of places I would wish to go, mm -hmm. uh, which leads me easily to the next question, which is where do you still long to visit? Well, you know, I don't keep a bucket list. I don't really believe in, in bucket lists. Um, so I don't really long to visit anywhere. And it oftentimes the, the place just somehow appears serendipitously. And it's, it's, the, it's usually the perfect, the perfect place. Um, I will say that Canada and somewhere in South America, you know, South America often call to me a little bit more, a little bit more often. Um, what do you eat that immediately connects you to a place that you've been? When I was in Ecuador, I could not get enough of this little tiny globular yellow round fruit called Villa. And um, I, I thought I'd never have it again. But it turns out that some groceries actually do sell it for very expensive little um, um, packages. And they're called golden berries in here. So everyone, every time I want a touch of, you know, a little bit of nostalgia for Ecuador, I will go pay $7 for a small little package. I think I had some of those in very northern Peru. So I was near yeah, Ecuador. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. Mm -hmm. Who was the person that inspired or encouraged you to set out and explore the world? You know, I grew up traveling, so it was definitely my family. Uh, however, I was also really inspired by... 
um, accounts of um, narratives of women explorers uh, like Freya Stark or um, Jane Goodall and Diane Fossey and um, oh, who was that? West, she wrote West Into the Night. She's a Kenyan aviator. She was a Kenyan aviator. Beryl, Beryl Markham. Uh, so those count, Amelia Earhart too. So those, those women explorers always kind of inspired me to, to explore. Yeah, I was very drawn to that as well. So I think um, it combines this idea of, uh, you know, gender equality and travel. And I think I saw it from an early age. And so I was also really drawn to those stories and the possibility that I could be one of those women as well. Um, The last question is, if you could take an adventure with one person, fictional or real, alive or past, who would it be? I try not to long for things or or people. And whoever I'm traveling with and whoever I meet along the way has always been, has always ended up being the perfect, you know, the, the perfect person to be traveling with. I will say that I've always longed to um, kind of meet the man of my dreams on one of my adventures. And <laughs> so far it hasn't happened yet, but you know, there's still time. Still with earth in the wind. Oh, um, yes. Putting it out there. Well, I love the reminder to be really present when you're traveling and to just really um, enjoy being where you're at and and who you're with. And so I think that's really important too. So thank you for leaving us with that last little nugget of uh, inspiration. Um, Thank you so much for making the time to share in this conversation today. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much, Christine. I, I love the community that you've built and I so respect the work that you you are doing to to build to build this community. It's really helping. It has ripple effects um, more than you know, I'm sure. Thank you for listening to The Soul of Travel. I hope you enjoyed the journey. If you love this conversation, I encourage you to subscribe, rate the podcast, and share the episodes that inspire you with others. I am so proud of the way these conversations are bringing together people from around the world. If this sounds like your community, welcome. I am so happy you are here. You can find all the ways you can be a part of the Soul of Travel and Lotus Sojourns community at www.lotussojourns.com. Here you can learn more about Soul of Travel and my guests. You can see details about the transformational sojourns I guide for women, as well as my book Sojourn, which offers an opportunity to explore your heart, mind, and the world through the pages of books specially selected to create a unique journey. I am all about community and would love to connect. You can find me on Facebook at Lotus Sojourns and join our community, the Lotus Sojourns Collective, or follow me on Instagram, either at Lotus Sojourns or at Soul of Travel Podcast. Stay up to date by joining the Lotus Sojourns mailing list. I look forward to getting to know you and hopefully hear your story.